0: Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Welcome to Cross Lane. Before I get started this morning, um, and if you want, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, two places we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 15, all right? But before I get going this morning, I want to just uh, remind you that youth group happens on Sunday night around here. And one group of people that does not get recognized very often at all, not nearly like they should, are the, the men and women who work with our junior department. That would be like, um, in, in, on Sunday nights, I think it's K through fifth grade, back in the back um, with the little guys on Sunday evenings. And I don't know if you've ever worked with that age group, but that can be a challenge sometimes. It can be a lot of fun, but it can also uh, test your patience just a little bit. And we have an army of people who show up on Sunday night to help us with that. And uh, I just want, uh, we need to thank those folks. Um, I know Sherry Sullivan is one of those people that does that, and and, uh, Jim and Jill Foxworthy are involved in that. Um, I'm leaving some people out. I know that... uh, and Diane Wheelie do that. They're not here this morning, but they they normally do that. So um, thank those folks if you know them and see them. Uh, That's that's pretty solid ministry that they do, and and we benefit greatly from it. I want to talk this morning about a word that is not used anymore in our vocabulary. We don't say this word much. The word is sin. That is such a pesky little word, isn't it? We, We don't use the word sin anymore. Um, When my kids do something wrong, I don't march them into the living room and say, "Son, you have sinned." You know, I don't, I don't do that. Can you imagine at work if your boss called you in and and you'd mess something up, and he says, "Now you have sinned against the company," and uh, you're just uh, not cutting it? No, that's you haven't sinned against the company. You're just not meeting expectations. Okay. you just haven't done it as well maybe as they wanted you to do, or you get pulled over <laughs> speeding by an officer and he comes up next to you and says, you were caught sinning uh, 10 miles in excess of the speed limit. Sin makes me think judgment. Sin makes me think that, that punishment is near. It's, a, it's about a giant moral absolute or absolutes. When we hear sin, we think we're going to be punished. Here is the dictionary definition of sin. A transgression of divine law, any act regarded as such transgression, especially a willful and deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. Sin means I did it on purpose. Sin means it was willful. I, I planned this. I meant to do this. It means I know what I did. And that doesn't make me feel real good about myself. In fact, after a while, I kind of think I'm a bad person if I start thinking of myself as someone who has sinned. So we don't like that word. Instead, we like this word. We like the word mistake. Sounds better, doesn't it? I made a mistake. Let me give you the definition of a mistake. An error in action, calculation of opinion or judgment, caused by poor reasoning oh I, I just I just wasn't thinking straight carelessness oh I, I you know I, I didn't see that or or maybe it was insufficient knowledge you know I, I just didn't know any better see that way I can say oh my bad it, it was just a mistake I, I didn't mean it there's a big difference between mistake and sin you don't punish someone for a mistake You know, if I mistakenly knocked your vase off of your mantle, you would not expect me to pay you more than the vase was worth. Let's say you paid $100 for it. I would pay you $100 for it. But you wouldn't expect me to give you $300 for it. I mean, if it was a mistake, I mean, I'm going to take care of the mistake. I'm going to fix the problem. But there's no punishment associated with that. You don't have to pay triple or anything like that. It was just a mistake. That expense account thing, when you come in, your boss says, hey, you know, these numbers don't add up just so. You know, what we would want to say is, oh, I'm sorry, can we just keep that in the category of mistake? Which means you, you, you can't really hold that against me. There's a big difference between sin and mistake. Here's the biggest difference, though. If everything I do wrong can be dumbed down, to where it's just a mistake. It makes me a mistaker, which means I don't have sin. And if I don't have sin, then I'm not a sinner. And if I'm not a sinner, then I don't need a Savior. You see, if you're just a mistaker, then all you've got to do is do better. If you're just a mistaker, then all you have to do is try harder. All you have to do is is just, you know, refocus. All you got to do is overcome that nasty little habit. If you're just a mistaker, all you have to do is just be more consistent or try harder the next time and things will be better. But if I'm a sinner, that is more fundamental to who I am. That means I sin, I am a sinner. then simply trying harder is not going to get it done. Simply overcoming a bad habit isn't going to make it all go away. Being more consistent isn't the problem. I'm a sinner. Trying harder is not going to help me. If I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And I don't want to be a sinner because that means I have sin and I don't want to need a Savior. I'd rather make mistakes. I'd rather be a mistaker. I'd rather it be just a, you know, this thing where I just need to try a little bit harder and everything's going to be fine. The problem is we know ourselves deep down somewhere that, the, that, that I might be able to convince you that what's going on with me is a mistake, what, what what happened is a mistake. I might be able to convince you of that. I might be able to play that game just long enough to pull the wool over your eyes, but deep down in my heart when I'm by myself and I'm thinking about what happened and what's going on, I know it's, it's a bigger problem than me being just a mistaker. I know I'm a sinner. I know that's, that's deep-rooted. I know, you know, when, when all the lights go off and the TV goes down and I've turned off all the music and it's just me and my thoughts and Jesus, I know better than that. You know yourself that some of the things that uh, you do are not unintentional. They are very intentional. They aren't just mistakes. They're more than that. You did it on purpose. I did it on purpose. Not only do we do it on purpose, but we've done it before. Not only did we do it before, but we will do it again. Not only will we do it again, we kind of like thinking about do it again, doing it again. We just don't talk that way, right? We just don't say that to anybody else because... That's just, not, you're not supposed to do it that way. But you know in your heart that what you did was more than a mistake. It wasn't just a bad calculation or poor reasoning or insufficient judgment. You know exactly what you were doing. You knew the last time you did it, it wasn't a mistake, and, and you probably knew it was way deeper than that. That's how it is for me. And there's something else. Mistakes are, are on the outside. You know, mistakes, you can generally see mistakes, but, but the internal stuff, what about the stuff that you, you'd love to do but you don't dare do because you're afraid you'd get caught but you love thinking about it? What about that jealousy? You know, she, she comes walking through the door and, and she's dressed to the nines and she looks beautiful and you want to look that beautiful but you don't feel like you're that beautiful. And so you say, man, you look really good today. And inside you're thinking to yourself, I hate you. I hate you. And you're smiling while you're saying it. Man, you look beautiful, but I really hate you. You applauded when he got the award. And inside you're thinking, I hate your guts. You know, I wish that was me. Or the guy that loses the office deal that that really messes up for the whole company, and he feels bad, and everybody's like he's kind of like the field goal kicker that missed the field goal, and nobody wants to talk to him, and 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 you know, you're saying all the right things on the outside, man. I'm sorry. I wish you. I wish that hadn't happened. But inside, you're rejoicing because in your mind, it makes you look better. His lack of success means your possible success. His failure means your possible promotion. And so, you know, we don't act that way on the outside. We know how to act. We know how to put the face on and make it all look okay. But underneath it all, that internal thing, can, can you really call that a mistake? You, d- you didn't even do anything, really. To call that a mistake, I mean, that's got to that's have a different label than, than the word mistake. That's, that's just about the stuff that goes on in the, inside of us that, that nobody knows about. What about guilt? See, nobody needs to feel guilty about a mistake, do they? Because a mistake is just that. You didn't mean to. You didn't have enough information. You, 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 you just you didn't see clearly enough. It really wasn't your fault. You didn't have enough information. You don't feel guilty for a mistake. You feel guilty for sin. But if there's no sin, you're no sinner. And if you're no sinner, then there's really not a need for you to have a Savior. And I may be able to convince you that I'm not guilty, but I sure feel something on the inside. And if I'm just a mistaker that makes mistakes, then why do I feel this deep, dark thing way down in me when the lights go out and I know that there's something wrong? Now, if that's not enough, culture may tell you that you're just a mistaker that makes mistakes. But if you're honest with yourself, you know better. And if that's not enough, Jesus comes along and he really starts to stir the pot. Jesus takes out this great big stick and he goes up to the hornet's nest and he just whacks it as hard as he can. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus came along and he basically made everybody feel worse about themselves is what Jesus did. He raised the bar in an environment that had pretty much dumbed down the law and, and um, dumbed down God's law certainly. And Jesus comes along and he says, oh no, no, it's, it's worse than that. It's, um, it's worse than you thought. You know, you thought you were bad, <laughs> you're really bad. You thought you were good, you are not that good. He came along, and with one extraordinary message, it sounded very condemning. And then he came right behind that with, you know, you're horrible, but God loves you just the way you are. And you say, well, you know, I mean, is it, is it that I'm horrible, or does God love me the way I am? And he says, well, it's both of those. It's both. You're terrible, and God loves you. You're worse than you thought, and God loves you more than you ever imagined. I tell people all the time, there's one thing God can't do. God can't love you more than he loves you. He is crazy about you. On your worst day, in the middle of your worst sin, God loves you. I tell people all the time, I heard a preacher who was talking about, he'd been asked a question, if you had five seconds to address your congregation, what would you say? And I started to think about what I would say if they told me, Brett, you're going to drop dead of a heart attack in five seconds. Go. And I would jump up here and say, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. I'd say it till I died. Because my experience has been, with adults especially, that that's the one thing that they really don't believe. They don't believe that they are the apple of God's eye. They don't believe that God has this immense, immeasurable, overpowering love for them. Well, God can't love somebody like me. No. (laughs) You're worse than you thought, and God loves you more than you ever imagined that he could love you. This was so strange to the people, and for the people that just wanted to be mistakers, they didn't like Jesus because he made them feel bad. See, when you you think you're a mistaker and it's not really your fault, and Jesus says some of the things that he's going to say, then you would have a problem with Jesus. And the people who knew they were sinners, guess what? Those guys and those women loved Jesus. You see Jesus, you see these people around Jesus that that all the religious people were saying, hey, you, you you shouldn't be hanging out with those folks. And the sinners, the ones that were the worst of the worst, the ones that had been outcasts of society, when you see Jesus, you see them flock to him. Mistakers hated him. Sinners loved him. And they would hang around with Jesus and they would think things to themselves like, you know what, there's hope for me. It is as bad as I thought it was. It's probably worse. And it's not just a matter of me trying harder or being better. Here's how Jesus said it. And let me warn you that some of the things that we're going to look at here are extreme. In fact, these are the kind of verses that some people would read and say, well, if that's Christianity, I really don't want any part of it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and this is during something that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm thinking that if I was going to preach my first sermon as Jesus, I might have saved this material, okay, until my congregation was a little bit more ready to hear it. I might have sat on this stuff for just a little while and let them be friends with me a little bit before I just alienated them right off the bat. But I'm not Jesus, obviously, and uh, he knows more than I do, Absolutely. But if you want a textbook sermon on how to, uh, a textbook illustration on how to preach a sermon that would turn off your congregation, this would be it. He has this giant crowd, and he he starts off telling everybody how righteous God is and how unrighteous they are. And you think to yourself, who, who would stay for this sermon? I mean, what what kind of person would stick around while Jesus is is saying this stuff? Maybe you just stick around to see how bad he can, how big a hole he can dig for himself. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And that's the Old Testament, that's what he's talking about. He says, look, if if you think I came to start something new, you're wrong. I didn't come to do away with those old laws. Forget that. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, if you think I came to dumb down the Old Testament laws that you've come to know, no, I haven't come to do away with them, I've come to fulfill them. Then we jump down to verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments, and he's talking about the Old Testament, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, let's make this clear. What I'm about to say annuls what you've been taught about the law. I'm not going to lower the standard. I'm about to raise it. We're not doing away with it. We're going to take it and we're going to bump it up. Verse 20, and and this is where you would likely hear an audible gasp in the crowd when he said this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, and let's just stop right there and let's let's. For everybody who doesn't go to church very much or for people who don't like the big, long church words, let's take this word righteousness and let's take the word righteous and let's break it down so that we can know what it means. The word righteous means right standing with God. Okay? So when you see that word righteous, that's what you should think. Right standing with God. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now here's what's going on. On the periphery of this crowd are these men known as the Pharisees. And and the Pharisees, basically, it was their job to be good. That's what they did all day. They were just good. Their business was keeping the law, being good, upright above reproach according to everybody else that was your that was you know that was their job what do you do I'm good I'm just good I spend all my time being good that's what I do my job is to be so good that if God were to speak I would recognize his voice I would hear him They were so serious about being good, some of these guys, I could tell you stories. There was one group called the bruised and battered ones, so that they wouldn't lust. When they saw a woman walking in their direction in public, they would close their eyes and walk into posts to demonstrate how holy they were that they wouldn't look at a woman. They'd rather walk into a post and bruise themselves than take a chance and maybe look at some woman and have a lustful thought that's how they thought that's what they did they were so into this it was so much their job that if you were there listening to Jesus and they were there they would have stood away from you because if the wind blows and blew dust off of you and onto them they would become contaminated because you're not as good as them and that's who's standing around the periphery as Jesus is is preaching this sermon they want to hear what he says they don't agree with any of it But they're watching over what they consider their flock. And they're listening to Jesus talk to their flock. They were serious about it. And Jesus says, let me tell you how righteous you have to be. You see those guys standing on the outside over there? You see these guys that they make it their job every day to be good? Unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you got no shot at the kingdom of heaven. Those people are thinking, oh yeah, that's the most holy, righteous people we know. And Jesus says, well, unless you're doing that, you, you, you don't. You don't. It's not going to happen for you. And they're thinking, well, I, you know, I don't have that much time to be good. I mean, I, I got a job. I got to work. You know, I got to serve the food, or I got to build the houses, or I'm a shepherd, or whatever. Jesus, if my righteousness has to surpass their righteousness to get into the kingdom of heaven, there will be no place for me. I will never be that good. And Jesus says, that is exactly what I'm trying to get you to understand. You say, this is bad, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus says, yeah, it's bad. It's worse than you thought. And while they were letting that sink in and settle over them, he gives them this, Some specific examples. Verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, and he's going to refer again to the Old Testament, do not murder. And they're thinking, oh yeah, Ten Commandments, don't murder. Yeah, and I'm not a murderer. And Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Huh? So, you're equating actually murdering someone with being angry at them. You're equating murdering someone with being having the thought that you might like to see them in a pine box. You you you're you're equating this idea of murder with the idea that, you know, maybe I don't like them and and wish something bad would happen to them. You're saying that, that that makes me guilty of murder? I don't really even have to do anything and I'm I'm guilty? Yeah, you're going to be judged for your anger. And while they're thinking about that, he really levels the playing field. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And they're saying, have you? you? I have. Jesus, we haven't committed adultery. We're good people. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. In his heart. Okay. (laughs) Jesus, that's it. We're leaving. You have just called all of my friends and me. Well, not me, because I don't do that. But you've just called all my friends (coughs) adulterers. Come on, Jesus, I get the whole thou shalt not commit adultery thing, but that's a do thing. But you're saying if I even think about it, you're saying if my mind just wanders a little bit and I kind of give in to that and let it just kind of roam a little bit, you're, you're equating that with the actual act and you're saying I'm guilty when I haven't done anything. I mean, what man do you know, Jesus, that has lived his whole life and has never looked at a woman lustfully? I mean, come on. God wired us this way. We're, it's not our fault. I mean, you, you can't be serious that you expect us to go through the whole lifetime and never do that i mean you just you just basically labeled us all adulterers do you realize how broad that is do you realize how stupid that's going to sound when i tell that to my friends and say hey you need to believe in jesus like i do and well, what's that all about well you're not supposed to have lust in your heart well what who could be that good who could be that righteous what man could live their whole life and and never look at a woman lustfully in his heart. If that's the standard, if that's what it takes to get into heaven, then none of us are getting in. God's going to be there all by himself, because nobody's that good. And he keeps going. Verse thirty-one. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, this was an, this was a thing from Moses. In the Old Testament, if you wanted a divorce, and, and for any reason if you wanted a divorce, the way you did that is you would say, uh, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and then you would write out this certificate and you'd hand it to her and she'd be on her own. If you didn't like the meatloaf she put on the table that night, you could get a divorce, give her the certificate, that way she could go out and if she met someone else and the man said, hey, are you married? She would say, no, how do I know that? Here's my certificate of divorce. Well, why didn't he want you? Well, the meatloaf wasn't good on Tuesday. (laughs) Verse 32, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. And they're thinking, Okay, Jesus, don't you at least think you ought to at least let people tell their story? I mean, there's some really harrowing stories that maybe it would help you to hear before you just make some kind of blanket statement like that. A man can't divorce his wife for any reason but unfaithfulness? Jesus, that's way too high of a standard now that you've just called us (laughs) adulteresses and adulterers. And Jesus says, wait, I'm not done. (laughs) There's more. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, I didn't even pray for my friends. I don't pray for anybody, Jesus. And you're telling me that God expects me to pray for my enemies? That's the standard? That's the righteousness that I have to achieve? That's what everybody gets judged on? So now what? I'm a murderer because I've been angry and I'm adulterer because I've had lustful thoughts in my heart about women and I'm an adulteress because I've been divorced and that wasn't even my fault. I can't make a meatloaf, so sue me. And pretty much I'll never please you because I don't love my enemies. That's what it takes to be righteous, good grief. There's nobody righteous but God. And Jesus said, that's my point. That's the point. You came to this sermon thinking that you were just mistakers who needed to do better. And I'm here to convince you that you're a sinner and there's no hope for you, and, it dep- and if it depends on your effort, you're in bad trouble. Now, here's the amazing thing. The people who thought they fell into the category of sinner flocked to Jesus. They loved him. They, they were nothing like him, but they liked him. The tax gatherers, the prostitutes, the men and women who'd been condemned by society and thrown out as outright sinners, they loved to be with Jesus. Jesus had two messages pretty much. You're a sinner, you're in trouble, and God loves the sinner, and he sent a Savior on their behalf. That was Jesus' message. Message one, you are hopelessly lost. Message two, God sent me to find you. And the sinners loved hearing that, and they loved Jesus. Jesus. And here's the bigger message. Until you are open to the fact that you are a sinner, you are not open to the fact that God sent you a Savior. As long as you're a mistaker, as long as you just have to try harder, you're never going to get it. But when you come to grips with the idea that you don't accidentally do things. I've said this before, I'll say it again. You are not a good person who sometimes gets it wrong. You are a bad person who sometimes gets it right. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. He says, until you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, you will never embrace your Savior. It's worse than you thought. You've heard this story one day This woman is brought to Jesus. They drag her out and they throw her at his feet. And they say, Jesus, we caught her in the act of adultery. This wasn't an accusation. This wasn't a reputation. This was, we caught her in the act of adultery. Here she is, Jesus. The law says she has to die. What do you say, Jesus? her out to trap him and here the son of god in all truth in all of his holiness and in all of his glory looks at this woman and and what jesus doesn't say is well guys but here's what you're missing you don't know what kind of life she's had you don't know how she's grown up you don't know that her dad kicked her out when she was 14 You don't know how her first husband treated her. You don't know how her second husband treated her. You don't know why she is in the heat that she's in. You don't know what's led to a life like that. That is not what Jesus said at all. He says, you're right. She's a sinner, and she deserves to die. That's what she deserves. And they're thinking, all right, (laughs) here we go. Everybody pick up a rock. And he said this. Everybody in the crowd with a rock in your hand who is not a sinner, on the count of three, stoner. Everybody in the crowd who's just a mistaker but not a sinner, then you condemn and you stone this woman. Ready? On three, everybody. One, two. And the Bible says that starting with the oldest and ending with the youngest, they all started to leave the scene. And they all started to walk away, the oldest ones most knowing in their heart that they were more than mistakers. And then I want you to imagine what this must have looked like. I can't tell you how many times in my prayer life, and I use imagery when I pray. It's a big part of the way I pray. I cannot tell you how many times I have been this woman. How many times Jesus has picked me up and dusted me off and looked me in the eye and tears streaming down my face, just sick at my own sin and worthlessness and, and baseness, you know, just sick at my stomach with myself. And I'm there and Jesus is looking at me. And he knelt down and he looked at this woman and he this, this, this woman that's caught in the act of adultery. Can you imagine how humiliated she had to have been and she deserved to die and she was condemned because sin requires payment the Bible's very clear about that and he looked at her in the eye and he said where are the, the people who have accused you they're gone aren't they and she said no one condemns me sir And then Jesus, the Son of God, looks her right in the eye, just as he would look you right in the eye, just as he would look me right in the eye, if it were ever to come to the point that we were to embrace our sinfulness and treat him as a Savior. And he looked at her and said, Neither do I condemn you. And then he said, Now go and leave your life of sin. I'm not going to dumb it down for you because you're a sinner but I'm just not going to condemn you for it. Because now that you admit that you're a sinner, you are a candidate to meet your Savior. And then one time Jesus told the story, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. If you want to go to Luke chapter 15, Jesus told this story, and and again, I would emphasize that this is a story Jesus told. This actually did not happen. A lot of people read this in the Bible, and they think, well, that that happened. I mean, the prodigal son is a real dude. No, no. The prodigal son is a story that Jesus told. When I tell you a story up here, in use as an illustration, that's what Jesus did. did it all the time. And this is a story that he told about this young man who is the son of a fairly well-to-do guy. He's got a, an inheritance coming to him, this son does. He's the younger son, so it's not a 50-50 proposition because it didn't work that way in that time. But he had a pretty sizable sum coming to him. He had an older brother who was going to get most of the inheritance, but he was going to get something. And Jesus makes it clear in this story that he tells about the prodigal that that the father in the story represents God and the son in the story represents us. And the story was told to help us understand what sin was. And and, and remember the story. The son comes to, to the father and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Now, he didn't say it like that. But what he said was, Dad, I'd like to have my inheritance. The only way I can get my inheritance is if you were dead. So let's pretend that you were dead and go ahead and give me my inheritance. It's a huge insult to the father. So he took his share of the inheritance, and he, he goes to the big city, and he has a great time, and he you know, spends a lot of time whining and dining the women, and he spends a lot of time buying stuff he shouldn't buy, and he loads up his iPod with a bunch of iTunes, and you know, he's, he's spending money like crazy. He's got an awesome iTunes library, but you can't eat that. And he finally spent all of his money and then there's a famine in the land, and he's got to go find a job somewhere and the job this kid ends up taking is a job working slopping pigs. Now this story is told from the perspective of Jews and two Jews, and so this would be a young man would be a, a Jewish young man to slop hogs as a Jewish young man is as low as you can get okay it's just horrible as t- as jesus is telling the story you know you could i can imagine that the people that are listening to jesus tell the story are just going oh you know just nasty and then one day he realized i should i should go back to my dad i'm, I'm not gonna ever be a son again but because There's no way he's going to take me back as a son. Those days are over, but the guys that work for my dad, they get treated better than I'm being treated in this city right now. They're eating better than I'm eating right now. I I mean, I'd I'd like to have what these hogs are eating right now. So I'll just go back, and I'll try and work as a hired hand. So he comes up with this speech, and he rehearses the speech, and, and here's what he says when he gets to his father. Now listen to what he says. Jesus is telling this story so that we can understand God's reaction to sin. And how God views sinners who are coming back to him. Okay? I want you to hear this. Luke 15, 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned. He didn't say, I made a mistake. I have sinned. He didn't come back and say, Hey, dad, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I was younger then, kind of lost my head. Um, I didn't have the life experience I have now. I should have listened. I I should have known better. Can we just move past it and move on? No, that's not what he says. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad, I'm here to commit to you. I'm here with my arms raised to say you don't owe me anything. I'm pleading for mercy from you on a sinner you remember what the dad said the dad said now I've got you my little pretty (coughs) and then he went like this you guys are thinking that sounds like something from the Wizard of Oz is Wizard of Oz in the Bible That's not what the father said. Listen, mistakers never run toward God. I don't need God. I don't need church. I'll do better. Honey, please don't make me read that book. Please don't make me go to church. I'll do better. I promise. Because your thought is, I'll... I'll, take my boatload of mistakes, and I know they're probably sins, but I don't want to say the S word. I'll take my mistakes and head in God's direction. And what's he going to do to me? He's going to beat me up. He's going to make it horrible. Because you know in your heart, even if you're calling yourself a mistaker, you know in your heart what you deserve. Because you know your thoughts, you know the lust, you know the jealousy, you know the the anger, you know the secrets you know, how horrible your mind can get about different things, and it's different for all of us, but we've all got stuff, and I've never had an honest conversation with anybody that we, when we really got right down to it, we didn't both just look at one another and say, you know what, we are just train wrecks. And you know in your heart you deserve something, and you don't really know what you deserve, and then you turn to God and you say, okay, I'm not just a mistaker, I'm I'm a sinner. And you just expect the worst. But the message of Jesus is the best thing that you can do is to acknowledge your sin because that is as close as you're ever going to get to meeting the one thing that you need in your life more than anything else, and that is a Savior. And until you admit that you need it, you're not going to meet it. So listen to what the father in the story of the prodigal son says, which is a reflection of God and how he wants to respond to you and me but the father said to his servants quick bring the best robe and put it on him wait 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 why so quick don't we want to let him grovel a little bit first I mean don't you're just ready to accept him back don't you want to see him roll around in the dirt a little bit and you know see some humility and teach him a lesson and and you know don't we want to make this hard no no I want him restored as quick as possible Now that he's recognized he's a sinner, let's get on with this. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put the ring on his finger. You say, ring on his finger? That sounds like you're reestablishing sonship. Absolutely. But look what he's done. Yeah, but he's back. But doesn't he owe you something? No. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Verse 24, for his, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He's alive again. All he did was come back. How does that make him alive again? I, he's alive. <laughs> he's here with me. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Moral of the story, the sooner you and I embrace our sinfulness, the sooner you and I are candidate, candidates for God's grace. The quicker you are to fall to your knees and say, God, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. The quicker you receive and experience God's grace. Years later, the Apostle Paul would say it this way, very familiar passage to us, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard is perfection. And none of us measures up to that standard. I mean, that's like telling me, Brett, to get into heaven, you got to dunk. I'm toast, I can't get into heaven then. He's saying, Jesus, he's saying what Jesus said. You're good, but you're, you're not that good. And you would expect the next verse to say, and boy, is God mad because you don't me- measure up, because you aren't good enough, because you don't reach the standard. You, that's what you would expect the next verse to say. Boy, is God going to make you pay. And here's what Paul says, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified. What's justified mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. And are justified freely. See, as long as I'm making mistakes, I, can't, I can make up for them. But when it becomes sin, I know there's a debt that I have. I know there's restoration that needs to be made and some sacrifice that has to happen somewhere. Paul said, here's the good news. All have sinned and all have been justified freely. But but don't I owe you something? Yeah, you owe me something, but somebody else has paid it. Anybody ever been in a restaurant, gotten to the place where you pay, and the person says, that's already been taken care of for you? Has that ever happened to you? This happened to me. You guys just need to be preachers, that's all. That's, That's your whole problem. You just need to be preachers when Maya and I were we weren't even married yet we were out I took her on a date and we were out having dinner and we I went to pay for the dinner and I got there and the girl was all confused she looked at me she said I don't know how to tell you this but she said there was a guy there was a couple in here older man and woman and they said they knew you and they want to know how much your bill was and it's paid so you're you're allowed to leave and it just drove me nuts that I couldn't know who it was to thank them I never found out who it was But what can I do to make it up for you? You don't have to do anything. You can't do anything to make it up. See, we, we think to ourselves that somehow we can behave better. I'll just go to church more. I just won't cuss as much. You know, I just won't drink as much. I just won't yell as much. I won't have those lustful thoughts. I won't be jealous. I won't, you know, I won't want to be that person or I won't covet that. But God, I'm finally to the place where I see that I'm a sinner and, and not just mistakes. What do I need to do? I, I owe you so much. And God says, the good news is, you owe me so much that you couldn't pay it, so I paid it for you. Listen to this rest of this verse. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him, not you him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood and that is just a fancy way of saying this that while we were mistakers and we're going to figure it out on our own we were going to do better you know it's going to be i i i you know me me. you listen to a mistaker talk and you're going to hear them talk about how much better they're going to do it sinners recognize i can't Sinners recognize I don't need to do better. I don't need a motivational speaker. I don't need a cheerleader. I need a savior. And becoming a Christian is this moment in time when you realize I I sin. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I need Jesus to come be my savior. It's when you transfer your trust and your confidence in your ability to do it and to do it in a way that God would be pleased with it. It's when you transfer your trust in that to your trust in what Jesus did on the cross and you say, you know what, that is solving every problem I've ever had and that, is, that by itself is making me justified just as if I'd never sinned. That is making me righteous. It's a gift given to me, the gift of the righteousness of Christ, the right standing of Christ given to me. I didn't do anything to get it. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But becoming a Christian is when you stop putting your faith and your trust in I can get better and you put it into this man on this cross is more than a man. He is the son of God and he's dying for me and he's the savior and I need him. I need him that's what becoming a Christian is the sooner that you embrace the fact that you are a sinner the sooner you are prepared to embrace your savior the sooner you're able to experience forgiveness the sooner you are prepared for the pardon of sin so here's my question this morning Are you ready to say that to God? Are you you ready to say, you know, God, I've sinned. It's it's, it's beyond a mistake. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. And I don't need a second chance. I need a Savior. Because I'm never going to get this right. If it's about second chances, I need to know if you've got, you know, quadruple million chances. Because that's what I need. Are you ready to tell God that? Are you ready to say, God... You know, I personally, as an act of faith, I'm ready to embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm ready to receive him as my personal Savior. And I'm transferring my trust and faith in what I can do, and I'm putting it on this cross, and I know that that's the only way I've got any shot at all of ever spending a lifetime with you. If you're ready to say that, then you're ready to be a Christian. If you're already a Christian, you need to be reminded again that you are not a mistaker. You are a sinner. We all are. I I tell people all the time, what makes this church the beautiful place that it is, is that I really think we get it. I I tell visitors all the time, what I love about Cross Lane is we are a bunch of broken people, and we know it. We are addicts we 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 are we're we're alcoholics we're 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 people who lust we're we're people who are jealous we're we're guilty of so many things we're broken and we're not trying to impress god or anybody else we know we're sinners and we need a savior and if you've never embraced christ as your savior that's what you need and we're going to give you the chance to do that in just a minute when we stand and sing let's pray first Father, we give you thanks that you have gone to great lengths to express to us that we are just not mistakers. We are sinners. We are huge sinners. And we just don't measure up. There's no way we can. Our best effort is horribly lacking on our best day. So, Father we're sitting in seats right now but our hearts are completely bowed before you and we are just letting you know that we recognize that we know we know what we are and those of us who have placed our faith in Christ we, we as humbly as we know how just say thank you for your grace for mercy. When when we, we love you so much and we, we want to please you so much and we want to we want so much to be good and God we're just not good. We're just not good. And so those of us in the room who've given our lives to Christ, we, we just we 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 fall in a heap. We we're so humble, we know we don't deserve heaven, there's no way we could achieve it. You've given it to us through Jesus. Father, for the people in the room who've never done such a thing, who've never come to Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that they are not a mistake or they're not a good person who sometimes gets it wrong. They're a horrible person who sometimes gets it right. If they were, if they were good, they'd be good all the time. And I pray, Father, that you would give them the humility that it takes to fall to their knees and say, I need a Savior. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.